Welcome to CME Snacks. Uh, today's discussion will be biomarkers and real-world practice. Where do they fit with Alzheimer's disease? This activity is supported by an educational grant from Lilly. I'm Dr. Anna Burke. I'm the director of the Alzheimer's and Memory Disorders Division at Barrow Neurological Institute in Phoenix, Arizona. And I'm joined today by my colleague, uh, Dr. Michelle Mielke. Hi, really nice to be here with you today, Dr. Burke. I'm currently chair of the Department of Epidemiology and Prevention uh, at Wake Forest University. So during today's discussion, we will be focusing on some of the new diagnostic techniques that are available, including blood-based biomarkers, as well as other biomarkers available in clinical practice and the diagnosis of cognitive disorders, including Alzheimer's disease. We hope that by the end of this session, you will be able to explain the diagnostic and or prognostic significance of Alzheimer's biomarker investigations to your patients and discuss the risk of Alzheimer's disease based on these diagnostic supplements. You'll be able to incorporate blood-based biomarkers into Alzheimer's-related screenings, differential diagnoses, staging, and therapeutic decision-making according to clinical judgment and revised guidelines as they become available. And you'll be able to interpret Alzheimer's disease biomarker investigation within the clinical context of each patient to ensure appropriate consideration of potentially confounding factors. So, Michelle, diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease has been an incredible challenge for many years. And we do know that there have been challenges because of uh, the fact that we did not have specific diagnostic technologies to make that appropriate diagnosis. Oftentimes, the diagnosis was based solely on clinical presentation, on the symptomatology, right? So it really did depend quite heavily on the skill of the clinician making the diagnosis, as well as the typicality, if you will, of the presentation of the patient. Now, over the past several years, we have had new diagnostic technologies become available, including some of these biomarker technologies. So I think it's important to start off just by talking about what is available on the market um, in terms of imaging, and blood-based and CSF-based technologies and, and their clinical relevance. Right, right. But you, you bring up a very important point because historically you can have uh, symptoms that may look similar across dementia types, so it, it's difficult to detect what the underlying etiology is. And as you mentioned, we do now have some biomarkers to determine whether individuals have amyloid pathology uh, or neurofibrillary tangles, which are the hallmark characteristics of Alzheimer's disease. Currently, there are FDA-approved cerebral spinal fluid tests. These typically measure both amyloid pathology as well as phosphorylated tau pathology. There are also FDA-approved PET scans for the measurement of amyloid deposition. More recently, we've been transitioning into blood-based biomarkers. Now, certainly from a population standpoint, there's a lot of benefits in terms of invasiveness and, and cost. Blood-based biomarkers are a major strength. However, we're still trying to figure out exactly how to use these blood markers at the population level. And I think we'll, we'll be discussing that more today. So... 
for almost a decade now, we've had some of these imaging biomarkers that have been available. And I know there have been some challenges because of reimbursement. I think uh, Medicare has recently uh, announced that they will start reimbursing amyloid imaging, which hopefully will make it available to a larger population. But let's start off just by talking about the imaging biomarkers that have been available. We know that some of the changes that occur within the brain uh, of a person with Alzheimer's disease start around 10 to 20 years before they start to show clinical symptoms, right? The buildup of that amyloid plaque starts a decade or two before they ever cross our doorstep complaining of memory loss. The amyloid imaging is a good technology, obviously, to help with that. We do have some structural changes that also occur within the brain, although these occur a bit later on with atrophy in specific areas of the brain. With Alzheimer's disease, we tend to see the temporal parietal regions, hippocampal volumes all decrease with time. We have imaging technologies that can assess the functionality and metabolism of certain brain regions. So the FDG PET imaging has been available to us as well. Now, like you mentioned, we have uh, tau PET imaging, which can help determine the buildup of that pathological protein in the brain. However, the blood-based biomarkers are relatively new. Can you kind of run us through what the utility of these may be or, or what they measure? Because there are different types of blood-based biomarkers, right? There are some that measure amyloid. There are some that measure different forms of tau. Um, there are emerging NFL and other types of uh, biomarkers. So I guess the question is, what do they measure and why do one over the other? Well, that's a, a great question. So as you mentioned, there are blood-based biomarkers of amyloid pathology that are clinically available. Those generally tend to be plasma serum amyloid beta, 43 to 40 ratio, phosphorylated tau may also be a marker of amyloid as well as neurofibrillary tangles. Markers of neurodegeneration, which you mentioned in terms of hippocampal volume, which typically tends to occur in Alzheimer's patients can also be measured in the blood and might include neurofilament light. There are some newer measures as well that aren't yet clinically available, such as gliofibrillary acidic protein, but NFL is available for clinical use and is used in some other neurologic disorders, such as multiple sclerosis. A, you know, NFL is a marker of neurodegeneration, so it is nonspecific. Um, it's not going to be used to diagnose whether somebody has Alzheimer's disease pathology or not. That would really be the and then we also have CSF. So in terms of CSF measures, can you run us through some of those biomarkers? Yeah. So as I mentioned, there are two FDA-approved CSF tests. For both of those biomarkers, they tend to focus on the ratio. So either the amyloid beta 42 to 40 ratio or the amyloid beta 42 to p-tau or total tau ratio. In the CSF, just as a reminder, as more amyloid is deposited in the brain, less appears in the CSF. 
So a low amyloid beta 42 to 40 ratio is indicative of Alzheimer's disease pathology rather than a high ratio. In contrast, uh, CSF FOX4 beta tau levels are elevated. Yeah, I like to describe that to my patients as imagine that your brain is sponging up that amyloid from your CSF to build those plaques, right? Um, and then that as neurons become injured, we're seeing more and more of the tau also being released into the CSF. So, yes, we're measuring those levels. Now, with the diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease specifically, these blood-based biomarkers may allow us to diagnose these disorders at a much earlier stage of illness. And they may actually allow for diagnosis or at least screening in the primary care setting, which is quite exciting, I would think. Yeah, I, you know, there, there's a lot of strength to blood-based biomarkers for the diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease at an earlier time point, but also at the general population level. In more rural communities, there's less access to, say, amyloid PET, um, to the availability of having a lumbar puncture for cerebral spinal fluid tests. As we discussed before, there were um, previously some Medicare issues and insurance issues in terms of coverage for amyloid tests, and so that had to be out of pocket. So, it, you know, still a great test, but the blood-based biomarkers um, provide us a new avenue for starting to detect Alzheimer's disease pathology earlier among um, symptomatic individuals. Yeah, I think the majority of care is actually provided right now in the primary care setting. We know that a minority of these patients actually make it to a subspecialty setting like our institutes, which means if we want to help these patients earlier, if we want to identify them earlier and give them access to some of the new therapies that are becoming available or to clinical trials or, or just support their caregivers even in those earlier stages and adapting routines and environment and all of the non-pharmacological aspects of care, that early identification is going to be truly important in, in that PCP setting. We also mentioned that there was this tau-PET imaging that, that is available. It's FDA approved. Now, we know that the majority of amyloid tends to build up in very early stages of the illness, right? It starts about 10 to 20 years before people start to show symptoms, and the majority of amyloid has already built up by the time the person is in the MCI to mild dementia stages, whereas tau and tau imaging tends to correlate better with truly progression of illness and potentially could be used in staging of the illness. I think one of the challenges with that, though, is that even though it's available and FDA approved, it is still not covered by insurance. So for most patients, it's cost prohibitive. For most doctors, it's cost prohibitive to order. But potentially in the future, it, it could be useful as far as staging the illness prognostic. Yeah, completely agree in terms of its prognostic use. Now, with, with CSF, it is available, so you can measure CSF phosphorylated tau and have some mission of pathology. Who's crazy and, enough to want serial CSF studies, of course. That's, I think, another challenge with the diagnosis, and particularly in the primary care setting, how many PCP clinics or even general neurology clinics are set up to do spinal taps. Exactly. Yeah. I think there have been also a lot of questions as to whether these blood-based biomarkers can fully substitute 
amyloid imaging or CSF studies when we're starting to consider some of these new therapies. So particularly as monoclonal antibodies against Alzheimer's disease become available, I get a lot of questions from my primary care colleagues or even from my neurology colleagues saying, okay, well, would you ever qualify a patient as a candidate based solely on the blood-based biomarker? And at this time, no, but there's still a lot that we need to learn in terms of the blood-based biomarker. There are different accuracies depending on platform, depending on assays as, as well. So really, if you're thinking about putting somebody on a disease-modifying therapy, such as these monoclonal antibodies, confirmation of Alzheimer's pathology with either CSF or amyloid set, it is really critical. It might be down the road and maybe even you know, in the near future down the road that blood-based biomarkers can be replaced and, and be a gold standard. But again, we are not at that point yet. And so they shouldn't be used for sole diagnosis of pathology to determine who should belong. They're more for identification of people who are potentially at risk or potentially dealing with the illness for further confirmation is what you're saying. Yes, correct. And I, I think it's important to think about the implementation and reasons for blood-based biomarkers and follow up to what you said before in primary care. So you know, there are a limited number of dementia specialists, and as a result, there's long wait times, and the longer wait times is anybody that presents with cognitive impairment in primary care are automatically referred to dementia specialists and, and neurologists. And so if some workups can be done in primary care to determine what some of that underlying etiology is, if you do a blood test and it comes back negative, then maybe there's other causes of that, whether it might be comorbidities or medications or, or vascular aspects, and that person may not need to be referred to a neurologist. So the, the use of the blood-based biomarkers does help to triage who may benefit from specialty care as opposed to those that can primarily be treated in primary care as well. So, Michelle, some physicians may wonder why we are actually talking about tau blood-based biomarkers when the underlying pathology in Alzheimer's disease, particularly early on, is amyloid. So why even measure the tau in the blood? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Initially, when started out with blood-based biomarkers, figured uh, plasma amyloid would associate with amyloid pathology and plasma phosphorylated tau measures would associate with tau pathology. But it turns out that the currently available plasma phosphorylated tau measures actually tend to correlate better with amyloid pathology when it's measured by CSF or PET than it does with tau pathology. So one of the reasons behind that is that, you know, when we're looking at, for example, tau PET or amyloid PET, it's an accumulation of pathology. And so the blood-based biomarker may be picking up earlier pathology than uh, would be seen in tau PET. In terms of thinking about measures of amyloid pathology, then based on blood-based biomarkers, either plasma amyloid beta 42 to 40 ratio or PTAU would be acceptable. And soon it may not be a choice of either or, which test you're choosing, but rather combinations of different uh, tests, right? Yes. Yeah, it could be. One aspect with the plasma phosphorylated tau biomarkers is that there are multiple biomarkers. And so might see phosphorylated tau or PTAU-181, PTAU-217, PTAU-231. Currently available for clinical use, there is PTAU-181 and PTAU-217. 
Now, these different numbers are different lengths of the tau protein. 181 is typically the length that is measured when you have a CSF measure. In blood, starting to find out that 217 may be slightly better in terms of diagnosis and may be slightly better at separating individuals who, for example, are amyloid test positive versus amyloid and there may be more p tau a forms down the road, but in general, 181 and 217 are primary isoforms that you'll see clinically. I think it's also important to note that there may be some ethnic differences in how accurate these new blood-based biomarkers, as well as some of the imaging biomarkers, may be. Yes. Most of the initial studies with the blood-based biomarkers, as well as with many of the neuroimaging and CSF biomarkers, were on non-Hispanic white populations, generally higher SES and education. And so now studies are starting to look at these biomarkers in more diverse populations. And there are some suggestions that, for example, among African-American populations or Hispanic populations, there tends to be lower Alzheimer's disease pathology compared to non-Hispanic white populations. Now, the, the reason for that is a little bit up for debate. One possibility is that there does tend to be more vascular pathology in African-American and Hispanic populations. And so for the same severity of cognitive impairment, maybe vascular pathology is playing more role in some race ethnicity. And again, that could be for a variety of, of cultural factors, differences in terms of prevalence of comorbidities. Some of these blood-based biomarkers maybe are not yet ready for full diagnosis. I mean, we wouldn't necessarily diagnose somebody with Alzheimer's disease or, again, determine whether they're a candidate for a monoclonal antibody just based on a single blood test. But you had mentioned, Michelle, that there may be a good tool for early assessment of whether somebody has to be screened for other comorbidities that may be causing cognitive impairment. So more of a rule-out type of approach, right? Yes, correct, instead of rule-in. So there are uh, various factors that can affect the interpretation of the levels. And so that's why it's not a confirmatory test at this point. So for example, individuals that have chronic kidney disease, stage three or greater, tend to have elevated levels of plasma phosphorylated tau. And so in that case, somebody with elevated levels may not have Alzheimer's disease pathology, but could be falsely diagnosed. So again, that's the reason for the additional follow-up and confirmation for quality. So you could potentially rule somebody out that may be negative, but even if they are positive, there's certainly a need to look at some other comorbidities and other potential causes. I think with time, what we're going to see is just like uh, we're doing screening tests on patients for uh, thyroid function, cholesterol, right, uh, diabetes. Similarly, these blood-based biomarkers, along with cognitive assessments, will be incorporated into the primary care setting to, to screen for people who are at risk and who need additional testing. Yeah, and I, I think it's important to highlight something in, in what you just said, too, is that use of blood-based biomarkers are focused on individuals that are symptomatic. There is a lot less understanding about how to use these blood-based biomarkers in people that are asymptomatic, but maybe they have a family history. Um, so we don't fully understand what the prognosis is. Some individuals may never go on to develop Alzheimer's disease. 
So the, the first focus is really on individuals that have um, some cognitive impairment. And that's a great point because a lot of practitioners are asking, should I be screening people with a family history of Alzheimer's disease or other types of dementias with these types of blood-based biomarkers? And if so, at what age and so on? And what I'm hearing you saying is probably not at this point. Correct. And I think there's another couple other aspects to think about with this as well. So in general, many patients don't understand the difference or need further education on Alzheimer's disease pathology versus Alzheimer's disease dementia. And so we need to have more discussions about that because if a result shows up in the patient portal and somebody thinks they have Alzheimer's disease or are destined to get Alzheimer's disease who doesn't have symptoms, that would be problematic. Another aspect to think about in terms of asymptomatic individuals is you don't know, and even symptomatic, what the effects of having this biomarker in the medical records could be on a long-term care insurance or life insurance. That's another aspect to be careful about in terms of incorporating this biomarker. This is something as a medical community that we may be facing fairly soon because there are some companies that are beginning to offer these uh, blood-based biomarkers to the general population. Correct. It's important, I guess, to help educate patients and that this isn't just a marker that tells you that you have Alzheimer's disease or you're going to develop Alzheimer's disease dementia. So to, to understand what the utility might be, but then to also understand what some of the repercussions of having this biomarker in the medical record could be. So before talking with the patient about whether to have this blood drawn for it, talk about potential effects on long-term care insurance or life insurance. Now, we, we don't fully understand what those effects are. We can imagine right now that this is something we're going to have to think about from a medical standpoint. Thank you for joining us for this activity. To receive additional resources and education, please join us at the Alzheimer's Disease Hub. To receive CME and CE credits for this activity, participants must complete the post-test and evaluation online. Thank you.